Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here to remind you that the Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. A new pod on the network that I want to highlight is the latest from Darts and Letters. Host Jay Cockburn looks at forensic DNA technology's relation to ideas about law, race, and criminality in, ep- in an episode exploring the frontiers of forensic DNA and artificial intelligence. Also, the Progress Report newsletter is back and publishing again, and our editor Jim Story is actually writing it right now as I record this. There is definitely going to be something in there about the Calgary Police's shameful display this past weekend, where they sided with the pro-COVID protesters, pushing counter-protesters out of the way so they could continue their march. So check the show notes for a link to sign up for that newsletter. Now, on to the show. depend on the radio, either their own or their neighbors, for the news of the day. They are not able to afford a newspaper. I can quite understand, therefore, what a godsend the radio is. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. Recording today here in Amiskwichiwaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 Territory, on the banks of the Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today to discuss Jason Kenney's blockbuster new radio show and uh, his dollar store impersonation of the Back to the Bible Hour is uh, Alberta Advantage a member of Team Alberta Advantage, Rory Gillies. Uh, you will know him from the Alberta Advantage. He also writes for Jackman. He, you might also see him on Twitter as Left Wexit, one of the the lonely people pushing for a left wing Wexit. Uh, but Rory, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about Bible Bill, uh, a subject matter I don't really get to talk about as much as I would like. You are one of the like premier Bible Billologists, like in my circle and like friends and acquaintances. So I think yes, I, I too need to know more about Bible Bill, and I'm happy that you're on the show. But before we get to Bible Bill, I do have to apologize because. A precondition of coming on this on the show was that you did have to listen to Jason Kenney's radio show, your premiere, your province on <laughs> CHQR and Ched in Edmonton and Calgary. <sighs> it breaks my usual rule of never listening to podcasts. So but, but I did it <laughs> well, to make this podcast. Well, I thank you for your service. Um you know, I, I think off the top, I just got to say it was incredibly fucking mid. It was not interesting, not cool, not fun to listen to in any way. Really only one worthwhile kind of bit of confrontation or like bit of radio that maybe lasted like three minutes total in the whole hour. And uh, yeah, just got to say, not a fan. Yeah, I agree. It was it was pretty dreary. There wasn't really anything spicy that happened either from... Uh, weirdos who well there was a little bit of one which we'll get into but generally i feel this is a place where kenny is like in an, his element because he can really really he i mean to an extent he like knows his stuff so he's able to give answers to things and knows how to answer them in ways that don't necessarily get him into trouble but i mean of course there's still slip-ups that we see him do at uh press conferences from time to time 
yeah, no one's ever going to accuse Jason Kenny of being unprepared or not knowing his talking points. But I still, like, if you've watched his Facebook lives, which again they're like three hours long sometimes, like he does this, he could do this shit for hours, where he does his like his little Professor Kenny shtick, and he'll like he'll entertain the, the you know the idiot questions from the hoi polloi, and he like he knows his stuff, he reads his briefing notes, he he talks to his comm staff, he like knows what his talking points are going to be. But like, there's never any, there's no there there. Like, there's no person. There's no like conviviality. There's no like anything behind the eyes, really. You know? Yeah, he's just a pure politician. He does nothing else but be a conservative politician, and unsurprisingly, he's good at it. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a professional politician. But I mean, and my brain has probably been poisoned by listening to Kenny and his press conferences and his Facebook lives for so long, but. Do you think there is like anything in here in this hour long show, which really only had maybe like 20 minutes of actual content? Uh, do you think there's anything in there that resonated with regular ass people? I don't know. It like I found that about one third of the questions were critical of Kenny from his left, and then another third were critical of him for his right, from his right, about specifically around the pandemic restrictions, and then the other third was like, we think you're doing a good job. Can you do this other particular thing? Like, uh, yeah, like a very specific policy question or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah which actually felt like a, a planted question. Yeah. He's just not a very relatable dude. And like, I don't think anyone really knows like what makes him tick aside from the fact that like, he likes being a politician. He likes being in charge, but like, it's, it's, it's yeah it's really it's not it does not make for compelling radio uh if you were to clip it into a podcast it would not make for a compelling podcast uh you know the final tally was like over an hour was six phone questions five text questions three softball questions from the host and of course uh one premise rejected which has become a hallmark of uh of Kenny press conferences over his time in office, which is like general kind of incredulity whenever he's faced with like a contrasting narrative or, or ideology that doesn't match up perfectly with his. Um, But yeah, I agree. It was a pretty hostile crowd and anyone who expressed any kind of sentiment, the majority of folks who did were like, fuck you, man. I don't like you. (laughs) Yeah. It, the other thing, it was difficult to figure out what, the point of the show was like who, who is Kenny speaking to? He says at the beginning that he wants to do this because it gives him a chance to talk to ordinary Albertans, the uh, Martha and Henrys of of suburban Calgary, and he because he says this is better than going to talk to people in party settings or talking to the media. So this is more of this is what his stated goal of this is, but I don't know if that's necessarily what the point of this is or what the angle of, I think that's a, a point worth bringing up, especially later on when we're just like, what, what is it all for? Because like, yeah, like I'm not convinced that the 10 AM uh, talk radio crowd is any larger than the crowd or if it's worth it for the effort and expense than the crowd he gets on a Facebook live. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like yeah, 10 times on Saturday morning is like not really a prime slot for talk radio. No, absolutely not. And, and so, yeah, like it's, it, I struggle to understand this thing. I, I wonder if it will last very long because again, it's just, it's just boring. It's dull as fucking dishwater. But I did, I did bring up the one bit of conflict on the show, the one bit of spiciness uh, where he did reject the premise of the question. And that was, he was challenged by a call her, he was challenged by a caller who had a question 
about the curriculum and like it's the only clip that is really kind of worth playing from it i'm just gonna we're just gonna play it we can listen to it react to it yeah dr angela grace here um mr premier i have a question for you about the draft curriculum why have you budgeted 191 million taxpayer dollars on implementing a draft curriculum that over 40,000 parents, 95% of teachers, the deans of education and educational experts, school trustees and school boards, um, First Nation, Métis and Inuit opposed and say is racist, whitewashed, aggressive and will cause children significant harm. And part two, will you be attending the province-wide Ditch the Draft Curriculum protest on April 2nd? Well, thank you, Dr. Grace. I, I think that qualifies for a heavily loaded question, uh, <laughs> but thank you for it. Uh, so I'll tell you why we're redrafting the curriculum, because we have a democratic mandate to do so. One of the key commitments we made to Albertans in the last election was to hit the pause button on the NDP's highly politicized curriculum, to have an open, transparent consulta- consultation process with uh, parents and also subject matter experts and teachers on how to come up with a, a solid, balanced, re- revised curriculum that would uh, provide for especially better outcomes on areas like literacy and numeracy. We've seen, as you know, a worrisome decline in outcomes amongst Alberta students in international standardized tests over the last 15 years, clearly linked to the embrace of failed teaching methods like, for example, discovery math and inquiry learning. So the commitment we made to Albertans was to get back to tried, true and tested teaching methods and curriculum content that is more content rich. And that's exactly uh, what we're doing. The, I, I don't accept a lot of the, the premises in your question there. For example, um, the, uh, the, the, the survey of teachers was as a tiny fraction of teachers, but we have delayed implementation of the math and language arts, uh, excuse me, of the, of the social studies and other cur- curriculum subjects for an additional year, and more recently for grades four to six for math and language arts, precisely in order to take on board input from uh, from Albertans. So, look, I know that this unfortunately has become a bit of a political football, and I know that people on the left want to use the curriculum to inject their political ideology into the curriculum. This government won't do that. We were elected with marching orders to get back to basics in the curriculum. That's exactly what we're doing. So, instead, you put you're putting your highly politicized ideology, military, political and Christian ideology into the curriculum, and what you're saying is you had this mandate to do it. However, um, the Argyle report isn't even out yet with a whole bunch more um, survey results along with the Have Your Say survey has not been released publicly. So the public actually doesn't know um, what what the experts are saying. All right. Fair question. Uh, Mr. Premier, you have just a short uh, response time for this one before we go to break. So there's a multi-year extensive, transparent and open consultation process. We've actually slowed it down to allow for more consultations because we do want to know what everyone uh, thinks. There's no... The idea that we... You know, the NDP draft social studies curriculum had zero mention. You talk about the military. Zero mention of a a Canadian military history of 120,000 war dead. In what world do you educate a future generation with zero acknowledgement or respect for the contributions of the people who defended our freedom. That's not a militarized curriculum. What we need is a, when it comes to social studies, an accurate and objective reflection of who we are as a society and how we developed. Thank you, Mr. Kenny. We're going to pause for the bottom hour news. If you have questions for Premier Jason Kenny, or if you have concerns or issues, you feel... All right, all right. So that's, that's it. That was really the only 
spicy content out of an hour of fucking boring ass talk radio. And even then it's, it's, it's pretty tepid. It's like a, a person comes on who's mad about the curriculum. Justifiably so. It's Jason Kenny is sticks a whole lot of ideology into the his answers to those questions. But like if you're looking for the totality of like the only of the interesting bits of this hour, that was it. Yeah, and it was also very rich to see Kenny complain about uh the politicized cur- curriculum review that the NDP had been doing. Uh, a curriculum review that if I recall correctly, was started under the previous PC government. But the fact is that saying, oh, well, the social studies curriculum has currently been just delayed for another year for more public input. Like the reason it was delayed is because it was slagged very heavily by uh, teaching experts and teachers and the public in general for being highly politicized. Because Kenny is talking about how, you know, we don't talk about Canada's war dead and sacrifices and the military apparently is not in this NDP ideology curriculum, but the social studies curriculum was written by Chris Champion, who is highly ideological and in fact doesn't really contain much about Canada either. It was mostly about like weird stuff about ancient Rome and ancient Greece, which is just like reactionary. Uh, this is this is not a pod. This is not a podcast about Chris Champion, but Chris Champion is uh, like the final form of what happens if you're like a white Greek statue guy. <laughs> um, but okay. So like, there you go. That was, that was the only interesting bit. Uh, I, I, there's still a couple of things I want to talk to you about the show before we can pivot to the historical context. Um, the host I think is worth bringing up a little bit. I think just absolutely baby shit, soft questions. Let Kenny get away with just blathering on about um, his very first question was about the, the defamation case which has been brought forward by environmental groups who were like, Hey, like this inquiry happened and then uh, didn't find anything bad or wrong happened. And then you were out here saying that like bad things, like you were misrepresenting the findings of your own inquiry. Yeah, he did. And, he did that. And the host didn't challenge him on that because the inquiry found that there was very little foreign activist money being sent, being sent to Canada to, you know, landlock the tar sands or, or whatever. Uh, the accusation was. Yeah, very little money and uh, nothing wrong. They did absolutely nothing wrong. The the uh, inquiry, the, the commissioner at the head of the public inquiry went above and beyond over and over repeatedly within the context of his final report to say that nobody involved did anything wrong. He got like an extra year and like another million dollars to do it too. Yes, yes. I mean, it, the, it's funny just talking about the past three years of Kenny government because it is they just repeatedly and continually fucking shoot themselves in the foot um well the, the host the, at one point even stated oh here's a text uh message question i'm gonna ask oh actually it's way too long let's ask a really short one instead which was just like <laughs> an easy yes no answer so like somebody might have had like a good like deep contextual question there and the host just simply said up oh, too long Oh yeah, and it was some dumbass question like, "Are you taking money from the pharmaceutical industry oh, yeah. to push vaccinations?" And it's he's like, "No," and it's like, "Oh yeah, real, really hold them to account there." Just giving him a conspiracy theory question where the only factual answer is no. Yeah, and you brought this up earlier too. Like again, I struggle to understand how this radio show helps Kenny's two goals, main goals for the next year and a bit, right? Which is like he's got to survive this leadership review, which is happening April 9th. And then presuming he he takes that, he wins that. And again, that, that, I don't think that's a sure thing. He's got to win the election. 
and I'm not, I don't understand how a weekly fucking radio show where he kind of dully repeats his talking points and he does his professor Kenny shtick helps either of those things. Well, I agree with what Kenny said at the beginning that this wasn't really a helpful exercise or this radio show is not really helpful for him winning this leadership review. I think that's true because that's not really the audience he's speaking to here because in the context of leadership review, he has to do all the, the party glad handing and uh, behind the scenes stuff and talking to the actual membership, whereas this isn't really aimed at that. And if it is, it's, I don't think very good. It would be very helpful for his surviving this leadership review in terms of the election. I don't know what, I mean, it, it does certainly give him a platform to like talk about this stuff and it, like generally like, it's like quite beneficial because Kenny gets to even answer from that, uh, that sort of critical question from Dr. Grace, he basically is allowed to like just repeat all of his talking points back without really a lot of challenge. Mm-hmm. But he's just so unpopular that it's, I just don't think reminding people that you exist is a good strategy. You know what I mean? Like people just don't fucking like you, man. Yeah. There was a poll that came out today stating that his net approval rating is negative 40. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There was a poll in my notes here. Another poll, Think HQ poll from last week. Only twenty percent of Albertans want him to stay on as leader. Uh, I think the poll you're talking about, that research co poll that came out today, the Alberta NDP had a fifteen point lead over the UCP. Yeah, and uh, Rachel Notley's net favorability is plus twelve, and Kenny was beneath like all the other party leaders, some of whom I was I'm only vaguely aware of. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was like, who are those people? Like, Morishita Hinman? Like, anyways, th- those people have a lot of work to do to for people to know who they are. But like, again, just like sit back, man. You got one, you're busy. You got to like, you got to diso- You got thousands of people who you got to like cat herd and get to show up to a convention and get to vote in your favor and not lose that leadership race. And like, let the money roll in, man. Oil prices are a gazillion dollars right now. Like, let the money roll in and start dispensing cash to your political friends and, fr- and, and allies and just shore up your coalition. Like, I just, I just don't get it. That actually, bringing up the oil prices does make me think as like, this is like, or uh, bringing up the oil prices reminds me that this is also, that's a, probably a possible reason for this because the strategists in the Kenny government and the UCP who support him are seeing this is like a turning point that if prices stay high, which is certainly for a while, which is certainly possible, uh, people will, the economic good times will come back. People will kind of like forget all the stuff that they're really mad at Kenny at. So kind of getting back out into public and talking about your record in government and what you plan to do, it might be useful in that sense uh, if oil prices are high, because was it like the bumper for the bumper, like teaser advertisement for this show uh, that came out earlier in the week was like, Alberta is like the future for Alberta is like brighter and things are getting better, which is very much what the message that the UCP wants everyone in the public to hear. Sunny days are are coming. Yeah, I, maybe I think maybe you did just successfully get into the head of Brock Harrison there and and Jason Kenny's brain trust. Maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that's the most favorable uh, kind of bit of analysis we can do because I just don't I just don't think people like hearing his voice. I don't think people like knowing that he exists. Like he's just a, just an unpopular dude. Well, I mean, Albertans um, love to forget all of the shit they hate about conservatives again and again and again. I mean, that's why we elect like decades long conservative governments. Because people in Alberta, 
are extremely forgiving of conservative politicians. They are, but I mean, when someone got this unpopular in the past, that the PC party would just take that leader out to the fucking to the back forty and drown him and drown him in the creek, right? Like this party, this new United Conservative Party, just doesn't have those mechanisms to take Kenny out. I still believe he's going to take. I still believe he's going to win this leadership review relatively handily because again, his party, he created it. So ah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But I think there's another angle on this uh, show that's worth exploring. And that is from the like the journalistic uh, like ethics and, and commercial uh, aspects of this. So this show gets it gets simulcast on both CHQR 770 and Ched 630 Edmonton. It's pretty broad coverage. I mean, uh, you're probably hitting possibly your potential audience is around, you know, two, two and a half million people probably. And, uh, and it's very funny to think, I just don't think Saturday morning at 10 a.m. is a very commercially successful or viable position. So it was interesting to see the, the advertisers <laughs> that they had on the show. Any advertisers jump out at you from, uh, from who is advertising? Uh, some privatized healthcare uh, for uh, elective yeah, surgeries in BC. I mean, that's a, yeah. and Kenny even answered a question related to how the privatization of elective surgeries is good for reducing wait times which it is yeah. not <laughs> just just to repeat for everyone it is not uh i mean the, the top ads for me it was a close tie between like the doggy joint medicine ads and my old high school chum cody battershill uh speaking up uh doing his ads for canada action the uh the astroturf group that's received uh, considerable financial support uh from oil and gas companies yeah well uh, i mean cody needs uh it's good for Cody's real estate business if there's an oil boom all the time. So, yes, and but aside from the horrible ads, it's also worth talking about like how we got to this point where, uh, you know, this this massive broadcaster chorus is giving essentially free airtime to the premier. Uh, you know, according to John Voss, who's the, the, the station manager responsible for this, they're just, this is just free airtime. This is not paid. This is not a paid program. Like what you usually actually, frankly, get, uh, early Saturday morning on Ched and, and, and CHQR. So, but it did come out from the premier chief of staff that they are buying ads to promote the show on chorus. So is there an actual difference there, Rory? Yeah, I think it's from a, the perspective of journalism ethics, I think this is very ethically questionable. Uh, it's one thing to bring the premier on for a call-in show here and there because he's the premier, but to give him an hour call-in show every week uh, to to basically like spit out his talking points to every question is, uh, I don't really think serves the public good in terms of like, making politicians accessible because it's ultimately it's a very controlled environment for uh for kenny and one that he's very good in yeah it's highly stage managed kenny is comfortable in the format the host is certainly not uh, you know it's not like i'm hosting this show right like it's just some schmuck uh and so yeah i think i think ultimately i agree it is very ethically questionable for you know our public airwaves to be given over to Jason Kenney in this fashion. Uh, we know that the same deal, according to reporting from Charles Rosnell, the same deal has not been offered to Rachel Notley or any other provincial level politician. Um, and you know what? Even if they did offer this to Notley or some of the other party leaders, 
on an equitable basis. I still think it's ethically questionable because the problem is that political figures are going to use this like political figures will, which is basically an opportunity to broadcast their talking points. And it's not particularly challenging them or like doing any kind of like deep dive into what's going on politically in the province. It's just basically politicians getting to talk about what they want to talk about. Yeah. And and I feel bad for all of the actual journalists that Chorus and Global employ. Like it must be fucking embarrassing when your boss is like, here you go, buddy. Here, here, premier. Here, there's a little show for you. <laughs> like, come on. And there's still so many unresolved questions, right? Like who is paying the host? Is it, is it chorus? Like that hasn't been answered. The journalistic rules of engagement have not been made public. Uh, you know, like how much is being spent on the advertising again, unknown. I mean, I, I'll FOIP it at some point, but like, why don't you just tell us, you know? Yeah. How do they screen the questions? Uh, who, like, how did this idea come to be? Was it chorus approaching Kenny? Was it, Kenny approaching chorus uh is there like some political friendliness within like chorus's like executives and Kenny and or and the United Conservatives because I imagine to an extent like Alberta's business class is like very apprehensive about the possibility of who would replace Kenny that they don't want some sort of like weirdo freak in charge of the UCP yeah especially if you got Brian Jean going on about the great reset and Klaus Schwab and what have you. But yeah, I mean, it it also isn't the first time that a sitting conservative premier has had free access to the airwaves, including on these very own radio stations. Uh, Ralph Klein had a monthly show on CHQR and Shed called Talk to the Premier, and it ran from like 1993 to the early 2000s. We unfortunately do not have any archival audio from this, but and we don't even really know when it ended. Like the I mean, I assume Ched and CHQR have these archives somewhere. They might know, but uh, like it, the, again, unknown how long. But it was it was monthly, and really, like it really seemed like Ralph Klein's happy place. To be honest, like while we weren't able to find archival audio, there was this profile in March 1994, McLean's where uh, author writer Brian Bergman kind of his entire lead of this like big long feature where he's talking about uh, Ralph Klein uh, cutting social services to the bone, which he was what's what he was doing in spring 1994. Uh, the entire like opening paragraph, multiple sentences go on. I'm just going to read a few, a few bits from it here. The premier of Alberta is in his element dressed in blue jeans, white sneakers and a well-worn turquoise sweatshirt. Ralph Klein settles into a swivel chair in a studio at Edmonton's Ched radio station for his monthly live phone-in show, Talk to the Premier. Strapping on a set of headphones, Klein, a former radio and TV broadcaster, casually adjusts the sound controls just seconds before airtime. For the next hour, he deftly fields calls from across the province, gesturing with his hands as he makes his points and gazing reflectively at the snow-covered parking lot outside the studio. On this Saturday afternoon, most of the callers are from rural Alberta, a stronghold of Klein's conservative government, and the tone is friendly and informal. No one addresses him as Mr. Premier. Instead, it's, how you doing, Ralph? For Klein, who has just endured another grueling week defending his controversial plans to slash government spending, the exercise is clearly a tonic. As he remarks during a commercial break, I think there are a lot of people saying out there saying, Ralph, you're getting hammered. Maybe you'd like a nice call to make your day. Blah. Thank you. 
<laughs> thank, thank you, uh, six thirty Chad and CHQR seven seventy for giving our premier, uh, for giving Ralph Klein a safe space to feel good about himself as he fucking cut everything to the fucking bone. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny gave a shout out to Ralph Klein's show at the beginning of this, saying this is just like what Ralph Klein did, which is very much trying to draw on that kind of legacy popularity of Klein in Alberta. And but what's interesting to contrast these two things is. In 1994, yeah, Klein was doing very controversial cutting social services to the bone, but he also faced very little like, like uh, coherent public opposition to it. And this is or also political period, opposition, right? Yeah, like po- the liberals didn't give a shit. Yeah, and the public sector unions were not really able to put together a, an effective opposition to Klein, and mostly voluntarily took a five percent pay cut. And in this period in the nineties, like Ralph is like relatively popular. Uh, whereas Kenny has the opposite problem where he's actually incredibly unpopular right now. And he's turning to a radio show as like probably an attempt to try and turn that around. Yeah. Like is, is Kenny here just like running to the comfort of, of talk radio? I mean, it is an overwhelmingly conservative form of media. Right. And, but he still wasn't able to escape people who were mad at him. So like, you know, like TVD, whether this is actually going to be like the safe space it was for, for, for Ralph. Yeah. I mean, Kenny had to field calls from somebody who was asking if there was going to be an inquiry into the government's handling of the pandemic, which I think is reasonable, except they wanted it to charge people in Alberta health services and the government for uh, having any public health restrictions at all. Yeah. When are we going to string up D- Dina Hinshaw was the subtext of that caller's question. And yeah. Kenny, and, but also in questions about how the government's handled COVID, Kenny actually was perfectly willing to punt it back onto Hinshaw and say, oh, well, uh, all these decisions were made by the health, uh, sorry, the, the chief medical officer, and we're just following her advice, which from leaked documents last year is not really true. Exactly. But I mean, Ralph Klein, Premier Kenny, these are not the only conservative Alberta premiers with their with uh, their radio shows, their own radio shows. And again, you're the premier Bible billologist here on the podcast and really in, in the Alberta podcast space, I would argue. Um, so we've we've had, you know, Jason Kenny, Ralph Klein have their own talk radio shows, but really it does not compare to what Bill Aberhart and Ernest Manning were able to do with the back to the Bible radio radio hour. And it really was the kind of foundation of conservatism in conservatism in this province. It was really built on this province-wide radio show. Um, what can you tell us about the back to the Bible radio hour and, and how it kind of built up? Really, it was the foundation of prairie conservatism. Yeah. So William Aberhart, he's better known as Bible Bill for his uh, radio broadcasts. Uh, he was a high school principal uh, who kind of moonlighted as a popular evangelical pastor. Uh, he was a charismatic speaker. So he used to fill theaters in Calgary with every Sunday with uh, people who would come out to hear him speak for his religious sermons. So in 1925, he decided to uh, start broadcasting this uh, on the radio, which was a very, very new medium at the time, uh, through his prophetic Bible Institute located here in Calgary. Uh, so his sermons could be heard all across Alberta, Saskatchewan, into Manitoba and BC and uh, some of the Northern United States uh, and had a fairly large audience. So uh, 
he mostly just talked about weird religious crankery. But in 1932, during the Great Depression, uh, he gets into the theories of uh, social credit, which he promotes as a solution to the economic devastation of the downturn. Um, not to get too deep into what social credit is, it's basically kind of a, a money crank theory. It's it's a, this idea that uh, we're not treating money correctly, that basically the government can just take money and, how to put it, they can that money is like a certificate and you just, if you just redistribute all these certificates, then it'll fix the problem. Uh, it's not really it's, the same as like socialism at all. It's, it's crankery. Yeah, like, it's like crankery. To, get into, to get into social credit, like the actual ideology is, is like, it's pretty, you go down a rabbit hole and be like, what the fuck are these people talking about? Like there isn't even the like shared language to really understand what the hell major Douglas was on about back then. Yeah, major Douglas like, being the, the British, uh, founder of, of the theories of social credit. Uh, it has a lot to do with uh, complaining about the banks and the banks controlling too much money. Uh, this often has a lot, uh, a rather obvious anti-Semitic tinge to it, which social creditors in Alberta and Canada at different times like indulged in publicly. And uh, as a general rule, it it was also like most of the social credit money monetary theories were like abandoned pretty quickly because they didn't really work and weren't yeah, yeah. even constitutional. But Eberhardt used this radio show to promote social credit, right? He turned it into a political party. Yeah, so he he talked extensively about what social credit was and his interpretation of social credit, which uh, Major Douglas uh, disagreed with. <laughs> but yeah, and he used a, a Bible Institute to print social credit pamphlets and encourage people to start social credit reading groups. So uh, by 1935, the well, the 1935 provincial election in Alberta, uh, the ruling United Farmers of Alberta Party, which had been in power since like for 14 years, was like very unpopular because they had not done a very good job dealing with the depression. Uh, so the SoCred Party went from zero seats to a uh, government in a landslide victory, and uh, Bible Bill then became premier, and he was premier. Uh, he was premier and in office until 1943 when he died suddenly of a heart attack. So the connection where we're starting to get into more modern Canadian conservatism is that he was succeeded by his, uh, by Ernest Manning, who is the father of Preston Manning of reform party fame. Uh, and Ernest Manning would be premier for the next 25 years. And Manning has kind of an interesting story because he was just basically a kid who was into electronics and early radio stuff in living on a farm in Saskatchewan. And in 1925, he bought a radio and then he tuned in and heard Bible Bill and was converted, moved to Calgary and became his protege. Uh, so he also inherited the national back to the Bible era hour when Eberhardt died. And as far as I can tell, uh, he was on that weekly until like the 1980s, which is after he was, uh, after Manning was out of office. So Manning Man, just, ran this just on that pod, just on yeah, that for like podcast, 40 years. Grind. <laughs> yes. Just grinding out a podcast every week for until you're like, he was in his eighties or whatever. Right. When he finally stopped at seventies, maybe. Yeah. Uh, around, yeah, around 80, he, he dies in, in 1996. So basically he's most of his life. He was on the national back to the Bible hour weekly. 
And it's worth pointing out like radio back then was the like, you know, the television plus social media, you know, it was the everything. It was the mass media, right? And and as in the technology space too, it was pretty much unregulated. Like you could do absolutely wild things. Like you talked about the coverage that that Bill Aberhart was getting on his shows, like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, BC, the United States. Like these, because the the entire like airwaves hadn't been colonized by commercial radio yet. You could do you could hit so many people, and like the stories from this time in radio are are actually insane. So like the guy who essentially invented country music as like a commercial genre was like a crank who used to sew goat testicles into men in order to cure impotence. And like he, it's a wild story. There's a bunch of stuff that's been written about him and I would encourage you to read, uh, to read up about John Brinkley, but like he had a, tra- at, at the peak of his powers, he had a transmitter in Mexico that could reach most of the continental United States. <laughs> um, and I, that's a diversion. That's a bit of a tangent from Bible Bill Eberhardt. But whenever I have the opportunity to bring up John Brinkley at a party, I will. But to get back to the 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 back to the Bible radio hour, you know, while the while the social credit as an ideology kind of flamed up pretty quickly, and no one really gave a shit about it, really after once kind of Ernest Manny took over. Uh, it it did do the from the bones of social credit kind of rose modern prairie conservatism, right? Yeah. So after so after Eberhard dies and Manning takes over in 1943, there's another election in 1944, which is where you really see the pivot from social credit away from some of their crank monetary theories to just more like standard, very socially reactionary business conservatism. So from 1944 right through to the end of the social credit government in 1971, the main theme every election was red scare, red scare, red scare. So uh, Manning would constantly harp on about reds under every bed. There's communists in Alberta, uh, the socialists, and particularly he means the CCF and later NDP, uh, are like always just about to take over and destroy everything. So this theme of just fanatical anti-communism is like a very, very big part of, of social credit. And this, then this also kind of comes through into contemporary Canadian conservatism because uh, Manning was a huge opponent of the expansion of the post-war Canadian welfare state. So Manning deeply opposed public Medicare, but was ultimately outmaneuvered by other provincial governments and the federal government. And he was forced to accept it in Alberta, but they haven't forgotten that defeat and this sort of deeply religious social conservatism wedded to uh, like free market economics uh, comes through from social credit and from the religious beliefs that Manning and Eberhardt expressed on the air every week. Yeah. And if you're keen, I think, it, I think right now it might even make sense to just like, play a clip from you know Bible Bill and Ernest Manning going back and forth about totalitarianism and democracy just uh, you know you called uh, Bill Eberhardt a charismatic speaker um, and maybe he was and and you know not every fucking clip is going to be solid gold records or whatever but <laughs> this 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 clip is not exactly going to set the world on fire but I do want to just give a bit of context for the radio and the content that we're talking about 
Are you aware, sir, that in the world today, probably more pronounced than in any previous time, there's a struggle between great principles, foundational ideals in every sphere of life? I think that that is evident to everyone. Well, we do know that the great British principles are being definitely attacked. There is a terrific struggle between the democratic and the totalitarian philosophies of government. Autonomous distribution of authority versus centralization of power. And what about religion? Well, in my way of thinking, there is a struggle on between the spirit of Christ and the religion of form. Right you are. One emphasizes life and our relationship to our fellow men. And the other holds supreme our creed in our relationship to the church. And what about education? Here the struggle is between the drill for the purpose of impressing a great host of facts upon the memory and the enterprise in which the child learns the science of facts by a wholehearted investigation on his part. One is passive and the other is active. It is quite evident that we live in days when a man's relationship to the great principle is most vital and important. Right you are. Now listen. I was reading the other day the story of Elijah and Ahab. Ahab was king of Israel, and Elijah was the prophet. Yes, that's right. The particular story that I was reading... All right, all right. So, like, the end, they kind of get into some, some Bible study stuff but, with Elijah. Yeah, but it does highlight very well that mix between politics and religion that they're doing. Because part of how they see their religion or their idea of Christianity is that uh, salvation is a product of an individual having a personal relationship with God, and that individual has to like freely come to this. And so society should be set up in such a way that individuals are able to freely choose to do the right thing. And their idea of a society where this sort of free choice is available is a laissez-faire capitalist society. And uh, so that basically your relationship with Jesus is the same as your relationship with your landlord, entirely mediated by the market. And there's even echoes of like David Staples and his kind of like uh, his education policy crankery here, where it's like the students of today have got to memorize the things that they must memorize, which was very funny to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's like a classic conservative complaint from going back is always the same. It's like kids these days, they just don't they're not learning proper moral principles like my incredibly reactionary principles that even in the past people didn't really believe very much. Yeah. And if you're keen to get into exhaustive detail when it comes to Bible bill and Ernest Manning and, and social credit, uh, we will have a link in the show notes to the Aberhart foundation's website where Larry Heather, internet legend, Larry Heather has diligently collected gigabytes of old radio recordings and various ephemera from the social credit days uh, that's where we got the clip from. Um, it, it is a bit of an artifact. It does remind me of a bit of a Geosities website, but it is just chock-a-block with that shit if you want to go down the rabbit hole of like who these people were and what they believed. And, you know, they, they did run Alberta for a long-ass time and the foundation of modern conservatism because, again, Preston Manning and the Reform Party essentially swallowed up the Conservative Party. Like, this is, this is the genesis. This is the bones that the modern Conservative Party is built on, right? Yeah, and if you really want even more, there's some good books on the history of the social credit government. So the social credit phenomenon in Alberta by Alvin Finkel is very good. If you're interested in the religious aspect of it, uh, God's Province, Evangelical Christianity, Political Thought, and Conservatism in Alberta by Clark Bannock, also very good. 
But even just checking out Larry Heather, uh, who is basically the last social credit supporter in Alberta, his website, it's pretty amazing just for all the wild stuff on there. Yeah, I mean, the social credit party has now become like the pro-life party, like kind of religious right folks just took it over and, and renamed it. So like RIP to, you know, the real social credit heads out there. Um, now it's just like uh, like a forced birth anti-abortion <laughs> political party that's like extremely marginal. But yeah. But I do recommend it if you if you do want to if you're a nerd like us and you want to get into those details. So the, the, this bones, you know, this foundational argument, right? Like, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about modern conservatism, right? Because, you know, they, they try and take the history of it back to, you know, John A. MacDonald and the, the conservative party of old. But I think that party is well and truly dead. And that like reactionary prairie conservatism really is the beating heart of the modern conservatives, conservative party, right? Yeah. I mean, the the current conservative party, particularly the federal one, has like a bunch of different lineages, but certainly that connection to Bible Bill and social credit is a very, very significant and important one. And perhaps like one of the most dominant ones, because the creation of the modern conservative party was essentially a hostile takeover of the PCs by reform. And reform was very animated by the this history. I mean, it was literally led by the son of Ernest Manning. So, and that sort of social conservatism is a very, very important part of the current Canadian Conservative Party and its coalition. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, folks. You get your hot takes on some bad radio with Jason Kenney, as well as your vegetables with, you know, some history on, you know, Alberta's and Alberta and really Canada's conservative history. Uh, Last question here, Rory, and we're going to take it back to, to the original, you know, point of why we got together into this podcast, which is Jason Kenny's bad radio show. Let's be generous and say that Kenny survives this leadership review. Do we really think that Kenny is going to be doing his radio show once a week, every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. in like July? Um, honestly, I don't really see how it would hurt him that much unless he really puts his foot in his mouth a lot, which is not something Kenny usually does. And it's basically free airtime that he gets to talk about all the time or talk, talk, talk about all the, what he wants to talk about in a very controlled setting. I mean, very unusual for a politician to get like a call in radio show like this. And most politicians would want something like this. And I don't see him giving it up unless something changes yeah, I, I'm I'm more in the line of like, I, if it does survive, if he is doing it in July, I think it goes back to the old client schedule, which is once a month. <laughs> I think once a week is is pretty punishing and just involves a lot of like prep and time away from doing things that you would he would probably want to be doing. Uh, so if it, I don't think it's going to survive, but if it does survive into say July and August, I think it's going to be a once a month affair. Yeah, once a month seems a bit more reasonable. All right, Rory. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Uh, now is the time of the podcast where people get to plug their pluggables and tell us about how people can, our audience can kind of follow along with the work you're doing. Yeah. So uh, as mentioned at the beginning, I am a member of the Alberta Advantage podcast where we talk about Alberta politics, but more from a like deep dive historical stuff to explain like why things in this province are so screwed up. There are like lots of 
incredible, insane historical reasons for this that we'd like to get into. So recent episode, we talked about uh, inflation and the sort of politics of inflation, which is something we're all experiencing now with high gas prices and grocery uh, and groceries and uh, a conservative leadership candidate yelling that this is Trudeau causing all this inflation. So if you like kind of deeper like dives into historical political economy, please give the Alberta Advantage a listen. It's a really good podcast. They're also on the Harbinger Media Network. I believe I was the show's very first guest, which, you know. Yeah, you were the first person we ever interviewed in like episode three, where we talked about privatizing education. Yeah, and it still holds up, I'm sure. I mean, I have to go back and listen to it. But like all that private school shit hasn't changed since we talked about it like four years ago, five years ago. Um, But yeah, really good podcast. Really can't recommend the Alberta Advantage enough if if you're not already familiar. We do, sorry. We also do have a two-part episode from way back about the social credit government. So if you're interested, give it a listen. Mm-hmm. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, things you think I screwed up on, I'm very easy to reach. I am on Twitter at, at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. Uh, thank you to Jim Story for editing the podcast. Thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for our amazing theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>